This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Welcome to this, the final episode on the final day of Mystery Week. Now, growing up, there was a show I absolutely loved, and I still do to this day. It's called Forensic Files. And if you've been devouring this show all week, there's no doubt you've heard of Forensic Files. Now, Forensic Files, with silky-voiced narrator Peter Thomas, somehow managed to make true crime soothing. And, you know, it is a bedtime standard for me. It really is. And I'm not alone. YouTube, Bill Hader, True Crime. The SNL star does the same thing. He falls asleep to that soothing voice of, of Peter Thomas, which I'm not even going to try to imitate. It's, he is not imitable at all. Inimitable, I think, is the word. Now, there was one expert who cropped up on the show quite often. He's probably the most prolific voice in forensic science, Dr. Henry Lee. Dr. Lee is currently the director of forensic research and training at the Henry C. Lee Institute of Forensic Science and distinguished chair professor in forensic science at the University of New Haven. That is quite a mouthful. He began his career in law enforcement before switching his focus to forensic science upon arriving in the United States. Now, when I say this conversation was fascinating, it doesn't even begin to do it justice. I mean, I was sitting here on the edge. of This was one of those edge of my seat interviews. Dr. Lee and I talked for 40 minutes. He was most interested in discussing the state of forensic science today. He says the art of the science, that is interpretation of the evidence, is lessening in favor of a strict adherence to the facts, almost just like a reading of the facts and the facts and the data only. Expert analysis is being relied upon less and less in the courts. Plus, we also discussed Dr. Lee's time as a refugee in Taiwan with his family and his being in law enforcement there. How he came to America, and this is really moving, the first case he ever worked that stuck with him. We talk about it all. It's all-encompassing. It's a really enthralling 40 minutes, and it goes back to the philosophy that we opened this week with. You've heard them give commentary on TV. Dr. Henry Lee has been in, like, every true crime documentary ever. But how much do we really know about him? So here now to tell us why we leave bits of ourselves wherever we go, our interview with the legendary Dr. Henry Lee. Dr. Henry Lee, forensic pathologist, icon, gentleman at the forefront of, of all of the forensic sciences. Sir, an honor to have you. How are you on this New Year's? Well, Matt, uh, you know the coronavirus, mm -hmm. corona pandemic really affect everybody's life. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it changed forensic field tremendously too. How so? Uh, yeah, I've been in this business uh, almost 60 some years now. Mm -hmm. But I do want to make a, one correction. Your show is wonderful, but you say I'm a forensic pathologist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a pathologist. I'm a forensic scientist. Yes. Forensic science yes. is a much broader field than pathology. About yes. About 30 some subspecial discipline area. 
Yes. Forensic pathology is just one of the specialty area. Yes. Uh, forensic pathologists basically do autopsy. Right. Upon the manner cause of the death. Yes. That word was on the tip of my tongue because uh, another one of my guests <laughs> no is uh, You're so good. You're for Cyril Wecht. Make some fun of you. No, I appreciate that. No, you you are at the forefront of all of forensic sciences. So tell me, how has the pandemic changed investigation, changed the science of investigating major crimes? Uh, of course, you know, the first thing that uh, these couple of years have a move of a uh, national standardization mm -hmm. after the National Academy uh, published a uh, white paper five years ago and uh, uh, severely criticized forensic scientists has no standard. It's so important to have standard, but the standard is really go so far now. All the laboratories just follow the procedure. They're not going to do anything extra. Mm -hmm. In other words, any technology or new innovative way, it's not on a recommended procedure. Nobody use it. So that alone, sort of a, a good thing, but uh, push too far, make forensic scientists become a clinical technician. Mm -hmm. You just do the test, leave the rest to the court. Right. So some of the cases, uh, the result are misinformed, misinterpreted. In addition, the crime scene no longer uh, early days forensic scientists, we respond to the scene, we work as a team with the investigator to do recognition, collection, analysis, and uh, reconstruction of the scene. But today, uh, most of the uh, uh, city and the state in uh, the country, the forensic scientists, few of them respond to the scene now. So the laboratory people start losing this uh, interaction with the crime scene investigator. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a whole picture. And uh, the crime scene just left to the investigator. So that's with the pandemic even sort of pushing uh, uh, more and more to uh, against the idea for a six scientist response to the scene. Yeah. Wow. So with that in mind, and the future of the forensic science, uh, what's basically what the forensic scientists role in the future, it's become a very important issue in the next few years. Yes, I, I think so, because I think there's an, I think you would agree, there's an art to the science as well. You have to be able to interpret what the evidence means for the court, and taking sure. all of that away kind of hampers do you find it hampers the ability for the forensic scientist to give a complete testimony in a case yes you are absolutely right now the court just limit the forensic scientist testifying the result in other words you just 
say, what did you find? Without making any interpretation. Mm -hmm. Also, the report is limited. Say, uh, you cannot positively identify somebody report that early days with fingerprint, footwear, shoe print, uh, firearm, two marks, handwriting, five mark. Those uh, basically a pattern comparison. Uh, they think the forensic scientist has no statistical data to back up what the match means. So they suggest don't use the words of match in the report, nor when you testify. What do you make of skeptics of forensic science? As much as there are specials that hail forensic science, there are specials that look into the fault of forensic science. And off of that, answer that first, and then off of that, do you think this taking away of people's ability to, forensic scientists' ability to interpret, is a way of trying to mitigate and get rid of that skepticism and just present the facts? Good question. The first thing, what is the fact? Right. What's the definition? The fact is the scientific fact. Even science is not always black and white. Mm -hmm. So you report the result. You conduct some test. For example, let's say you found some DNA. That's now become a sort of a most important type of uh, evidence now. You found some DNA. Is DNA really determine somebody's guilty or innocent? Mm -hmm. It's not. Because mm -hmm. the DNA now, the technology is so sensitive. We already got to a third generation of a DNA test. A small amount of DNA so-called touch DNA, trace DNA, you can get their profile out. Now, there are something called secondary transfer. With the COVID-19, we now understand when somebody coughs, given you are distance away, mm -hmm. five feet, six feet away, they are airborne material, can get on somebody's body or somebody's clothing. Mm -hmm. Let's say, unfortunately, something happened uh, later. Uh, the victim's clothing was analyzed for your DNA. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean? Does this mean you are the killer? No. Does it, not no, necessarily. Of course not. And uh, why I'm going to stop you there. Why is touch DNA admissible? Because that's if it's so sensitive and it's reading such minimal amount. I mean, we don't allow polygraphs and that's that's reading something and it's too subjective to make out. Wouldn't touch DNA be kind of too subjective to really hold well, up? It's because the DNA have database. Yeah. They have geneticists to calculate. So one in three trillion or one in 20 billion, uh, more likely that's the person. 
Mm -hmm. So DNA is a very sexy type of a, uh, <laughs> forensic evidence. Uh, now, of course, it's a two age of soar, so-called innocent project. Now, on some old cases, on some uh, DNA, they say, wow, look, that's the real killer's DNA. Therefore, the original person was arrested is innocent. So it's kind of a, that go back to the issue. Who going to interpret the result? Mm -hmm. If you just report a result, let the court, most likely the lawyer, make an interpretation. Uh, the jury will basically hear the argument, make a decision. So it's kind of a uh, interesting uh, the question you ask, what's the future uh, of the forensic science? So your question is excellent. I really don't have an answer. Of course, many times a case really the public make the decision based on a news media report. Yeah. And a news media report because this print news newspaper is gradually decreasing the circulation. Mm -hmm. More people rely on, uh, for example, radio, uh, television, and uh, web news. Mm -hmm. So the traditional news report, they have certain standards, report a fact. Just like a forensic scientist, we have a guideline, we report a fact. We should not take a personal interest. Mm -hmm. We should not take side. Doesn't matter. This is the inculpatory evidence, exculpatory evidence. If we find it, we'll have to report faithfully, present faithfully. Mm -hmm. The reporter should be the same. Report a fact. Let the viewer make the decision. Unfortunately, a lot of web news, they start reporting and they twist the fact. Mm -hmm. yep. Some even make up the fact. Mm -hmm. So you, the public, really don't know what is the fact, what is not the fact. I think one of the first cases that that really is an example of this, and this was one of the cases I wanted to talk to you about because I love the I I love reading about this case. It, I am fascinated beyond measure from of the John Benet Ramsey case. <laughs> yes, and I'll tell you why. It's like, and I don't mean to be reductive of this, but maybe you'll appreciate this analogy. It's like the clue board game of real-life murder cases and that everything takes place in that house, yet nobody knows, nobody can figure out what exactly happened on that, on that Christmas night. But it all took place in that house. And it's not like you had a crime scene where the victim was killed and then taken to the woods, and you had to backtrace the, the assailant's steps. No, it all took place in a home, and yet we may never know. From a forensic, scientific, and then, of course, the news media blew it out of proportion and made different allegations at different times, but on a forensic science level, what, what went wrong? Why, why was this not, case not as open and shut 
as it should have been. Okay. What went wrong? Good question. Excellent question. As you I was invited to assist the investigation by the district attorney, Alex Hunter, yep. and later the police chief of the border police department. However, this invitation was extended almost two months later. Wow. So the crime scene, so important. The crime scene, when the investigator get there, have to preserve it right away. Then they call the forensic scientists and other experts to work together to read the scene, to search the scene, to analyze the scene. But John Benerancy case because the family members and relatives, neighbors, and even the priest showed up. The police got to the scene, did not control the scene. Yeah. They searched the scene, the first search, did not even find her body. Her body in the basement, so-called a wine cellar. Yeah. In a room. If the police, the morning search, found her body right away, instead of until afternoon, two o'clock, to find the body, this may be different. Yeah. Case. The second thing, of course, that the so-called kidnapping note left by the kidnapper on a staircase. That note consists of three pages. If you read the note, that's why it's so important the note, not only for handwriting analysis, should also check for fingerprint, also check for the word choosing so-called profile of the writer. Yeah. And uh, of course the DNA. But unfortunately all of those we start suggesting say two months later to do those analysis. It's a little bit too late. Wow. So the case taught us a good lesson. Just like the OJ Simpson case. The crime scene is the most important area to yeah. generate correct physical evidence and the scientific fact. Once the scene altered, yeah, and difficult. That's why we only see pieces of the case. Yeah, that's the reason nobody can tell you exactly what did happen. You mentioned OJ, and I want to I want to go over this real real quick because I do want to get to some things about your life and your interest in forensic science. Is it is it true that really it boils down to the chemical that was used on the glove, and that's the if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. It, or is it more complex than that with things involving mismanagement of the crime scene that maybe it wasn't sexy enough to use your to use your words that didn't make the news that that added to that reasonable doubt that the jury had? Uh, whatever 
you just say every area contributing yeah. the jury's decision because they from day one when we get there we saw two type of a hubric bloody hubric yeah however the investigator already made up the mind one person and one person that's oj simpson so they choose to ignore the second set of hubris they also selectively submit the evidence to FBI. Initially, FBI shoe print expert say just one type of shoe print. Mm -hmm. Until later, he reviewed all the photographs, crime scene photographs, and he agreed their second set of shoe print. So, with the so called chemical UDTA, found the blood drops. That's another red herring. Mm -hmm. With the timeline analysis, uh, you have to kill two people, then get to rock things, get on the, to pick up, to pick it up by the limo. So all those become a complicated issue. You cannot fit everything in a one-man scenario anymore. Yeah. Then, of course, the investigator lie on the stand. That's probably the last straw. The jury made a decision not guilty. So, in, so, yeah. in both those okay. cases, in both those cases, have you, and you can share or not, in your mind, do you think you do those, in your mind, what you know of the forensic science, does that tell you a story, and are you able to come to a personal conclusion who you think are responsible in those two high-profile cases? Yes or no, and well, then feel free to share okay. who you think did it. That, that's the forensic scientist, the limitation. Yeah. People are watching too many TVs. <laughs> think the forensic scientists, we, just like a television, uh, I would get to the scene, in a couple of seconds, we find some clue, then when we collect something, we analyze, we link to the potential suspect, then we chase the suspect, <laughs> arrest the suspect, <laughs> a second commercial, already <laughs> my third commercial, case yeah. is solved, then we eat in a fancy restaurant, drive a fancy car. Yeah. And a lot of uh, kids want to become forensic scientists. I always try to tell them, don't expect your, yourself going to chase in suspect, drive a fancy car, eating in fancy restaurant. Yeah. We work long hours. We don't even have a hamburger. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's kind of a many times we, we're not domestic. Right. We just one member of the team. Yeah. Make a contribution what we did. Okay. Many times we don't know the rest of aspect of the investigation. Sure. Such as, of course, the motive analysis, the background checking, the witness statement. And today, the most important thing is CCTV camera recording, cell phone tracing, GPS positioning. All of those can contribute. Yeah. 
some important information. Yeah. So solving the cases today is much different than before now. Forensic science, we just look at the scientific aspect of the case, leave this who is guilty, not guilty, to the court of law. Right. We just present the fact. Yeah. Instead of a, now it goes to court, each side only one partial of the fact. Yeah. You just answer whatever the prosecution, prosecutors answer. Then the defense asks you a question, you only answer the question. You cannot go beyond. No. They no. don't let you no. say whatever you want to say. Exactly. And, and like you said, that, that everybody has their role to play and that, that impartiality helps with that. I want to talk about you in the last few minutes that we have here. Your career and your life really has always fascinated me. You, um, yeah. you uh, when you were young, you went from China to Taiwan, fled to Taiwan, came to the United States, uh, went to school here. When did your interest in forensic science, in what we now call true crime or criminal justice, these kinds of investigations, when did that start for you? Well, actually, a lot of, you know, used media, a lot of people think, well, I was young, I want to become a, one of the top forensic scientists. That's not really true. When I was in high school, I wanted to play basketball. Hmm. And uh, my coach says, I want you to grow another two feet, come <laughs> back to see me. I tried to practice, I tried to practice, and uh, I'm pretty quick, I'm sure. I'm only 5'8" but I'm pretty quick. But one night I realized each of us have a physical limitation. Also, we have a so-called mental limitation. We're limited by genetics. Yeah. Like, uh, why not Yao Bing? I look at him, we had dinner together, I said, well, now I know my limitation. <laughs> How can I fight the ball with Xiao Ming? So by the time I graduated from uh, high school, initially in Taiwan, we have a national test according to your score, and uh, they assign you to a university. My uh, first choice is the Maritime College, because that time, Maritime College, when you graduate, you have a good job, can become a sea captain. I was born a long time ago, 1938. Right. That's a long, long time ago. <laughs> I'm 83 now. Oh, and uh, my family used to be very rich. Oh. My father passed away in a boat incident. And uh, so by, when I was eight, nine years old, I lost my father. My mother single-handed raised all certain kids. So from very rich, become very poor. Maritime college costs a lot of money, the tuition. At the same time, Taiwan Police College recruiting uh, new students. I went there 
not really want to become a police officer just to keep a classmate uh, company. Two of us went there, took the test. Somehow, he did not. That changed all my life. So I became a, uh, one of the youngest police captains oh, wow. in 1960s. Mm-hmm. Working in the police force for about five years, but in the 60s, the whole world, police funding information basically by interrogation. And uh, especially in Asia at that time, uh, really, nobody used any so-called physical evidence, crunchy analysis. But after five years, I saw a lot of uh, innocent people was forced into confession. Meanwhile, some guilty one was able to escape the justice. So that's why in 1965, I decided to come to the United States to study to pursue the science and uh, try to use scientific knowledge combined with my police experience to work in the forensic field. That's how I started. I love that. I absolutely love that. Do you remember your first big case as a scientist? In U.S. or in China? <laughs> in, in Taiwan? In uh, wherever, whichever in one is the first one that sticks out in your mind. Oh, I have so many cases sticking on my mind. I'm talking <laughs> way so back, cases. the first one. I work, uh, work with a lot of a good investigator about yeah. s- from 74 countries now, oh, wow. about 8,000 cases. The people, of course, the media always interest Kennedy assassination, O.J. Simpson, Jean-Benoit Renzi, Vincent Foster, Das, uh, Clinton, and Monica, all those high profile cases. Yeah. But in, I said, forensic scientists, doesn't matter how rich the suspect or victim, how poor the victim, we have to treat them equal. Yeah. We have to give 100% our heart, our mind to work on their cases. Love of it. course, in the United States, one of the cases stick out of my mind. As a matter of fact, and, uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was teaching now everything. You talk about changing the uh, life. We don't have in-person classes now. We do remote, virtual training. Uh, Korean have a National Police Conference, a couple of thousand people out there. I was their keynote speaker. We talk about how important the observation, the scene. Yeah. Because the Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, I still remember, Thanksgiving is a very important uh they in United States, as, as a matter of fact, in Western country, the family reunion. I try to find the origin of Thanksgiving. It's appeared to be from England. And uh, it's pretty interesting. But after I come to United States, I learned the custom. I celebrate Thanksgiving 
used that year my family, my son, my daughter, and their family will all gather together. Also, every year I invite some uh, foreign student to my house because they have no place to go. So we share a turkey. I love that. But the uh, middle of the meal, the foreign, I was called to the scene. A old lady, uh, her body was found on the kitchen floor. She lived alone. Um, Connecticut State Police Major Crime Squad and Manchester Police Department respond. So Detective Breedney say, you know, she lived alone. She had a daughter living in California and uh, her neighbor made an apple pie in the afternoon to uh, deliver to her. When they knocked on the door, found the door unlocked, pushing, found her body. Terrible, terrible crime scene. She received 27 stab wounds. Oh, my God. And, uh, of course, we look for something. That many stab wounds should have a lot of blood. However, the kitchen floor, it's pretty clean. Yeah. So anything against usual becomes important. Mm. So at the scene, we basically use common sense, logic. Use logic to develop a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So that tells me somebody clean up the scene. Somebody, why clean up the scene? So of course, probably destroy the evidence. What type of evidence commonly found on the floor, Matt? That's a question for you. Semen and blood. Semen and blood and shoe prints. Shoe prints, yep. Semen, usually you don't find on the floor. Well, <laughs> okay. Okay, you know what? <laughs> uh, well, maybe, maybe your kitchen floor. <laughs> <laughs> usually... <laughs> the regular male ejaculate mm -hmm. only two, three cc, very little. Yeah, not, not going to like a waterfall step all over the floor. <laughs> uh, so, uh, shoe print. So must have bloody shoe print. Yep. So we usually at the scene, we use chemical, we use instrument. So we use a uh, light source, special light source called alternate light sources. We examine the floor. Uh, we found a couple of potential area. We use a chemical called tetramethylbenzene. We spray on the floor. Boom, boom, boom. Couple of shoe prints showed up. And uh, don't ask me why. <laughs> we forensic scientists, I don't remember my wife's birthday, but uh, memorize shoe print patterns. <laughs> Right away, I know what kind of shoe print, brand of shoe. Of course, today it's much easier now. We just scan the shoe print into the database. The database will tell us which manufacturer uh, made the shoes. So what we did is mobilize a lot of detectives. Middle of the night, 
ask them to search the garbage can. Mm -hmm. I still remember my chief of detective said, Dr. Lee, that will to cause a lot of overtime. I said, fine, let's worry about overtime later. And uh, we have to search the garbage can. He said, why we don't seal the scene tomorrow? We search the garbage can in the morning. Outside is snowing. Yeah. Because tomorrow is too late. The garbage was the garbage can was collected. Mm -hmm. Now you have to search a garbage dump. Yeah. In my career, I search a lot of garbage dump. Very difficult yeah. to find a pair of shoes. <laughs> Even you find it, this contamination already pre-exist. So search the garbage can and uh, later detective recover a pair of sneakers. Same brand, we found the blood on it. Subsequently DNA test show that's the victim's blood. Mm -hmm. the shoes, inside the shoes, we recover DNA, also hairs. Then, of course, investigator start checking all the department store shoe store and uh, found the suspect use a credit card, charge a pair of shoes. That's the victim's nephew. He was hooked up with drug oh, wow. and uh, harassed uh, and for money, and uh, somehow that night hit her too hard and killed her. So he, he worried onto a report to police and uh, just killed her. Oh my God. That's a very unfortunate, unfortunate case. I drove home, middle of the snowstorm, Early morning, about five, six o'clock, on the highway by myself. Nobody even sank us. Reporter did not even know that case because already soft. Mm -hmm. Because she is not that rich, famous person. But we do feel, I know all those investigators feel the same way. Yeah. We did not sleep. We work so hard because every victim deserves justice. Every victim. I did not even have my turkey. <laughs> you talk about cold turkey. I still remember <laughs> my wife saved the two pieces for me. I had breakfast, cold turkey. <laughs> but this is life. This, yeah. When I look back my career, I remember some of those victims you know, yeah. misfortune, victim's family, really begging us, can we do everything, anything to find a killer? But not always we have the answer. You talk about John Benet Renzi, but Kennedy assassination. Yeah. We're still debating. So many cases in this country unsolved according to the national statistics 
one-third of the homicide unsolved. So we average about 16,000 to 18,000 homicide per year. Think about it. It's about 5,000 to 6,000 cases unsolved. Wow. That's a lot of cases. 10 years, how many victims' family are waiting for justice? Yeah. Sexual assault, even worse, about a million cases per year, clears rate about 50%. Then you talk about robbery, burglary. So a lot of cases, no wonder the public lost the confidence on the investigator. Yeah. Uh, not always the investigator's fault because just so many cases, the lack of resources, lack of support. And uh, of course, today, with the new technology, as I just said, you know, CCTV camera, that provide us a critical tool in solving cases. In addition, the cell phone, uh, computer, e-message, that many recent cases, we just analyzed the result data, provide a crucial lead. Okay, yeah. Matt, I think, uh, what, it's about time now? Oh, my gosh. Well, you, I, I got to let you talk. I'll ask you one last question here to wrap it up real quick. What is, because that was just, that was engrossing and gripping, and thank you for sharing that. What is your advice? I know you teach, and I know... Um, people all over the world come to you for your opinion and advice what i know people listen to this and the i hope to reach that one kid playing with his csi kit you know and and Mm -hmm. learning the basics what's your advice to young folks who want to get into forensic science okay uh as i said i'm 83 already i already retired so i'm not really directly involved in a recruitment, in a direct teaching. However, as a forensic scientist, the first thing you have to learn the science, learn the investigative technology, and curiosity. Use logic. Yeah. Use your mind, and call as it is the fact. Don't take side. Yeah. Don't walk to the scene like a television actor or actresses say, I have a theory. Nobody <laughs> has a theory. We only can develop a hypothesis. Theory is something you have to test it, verify, and correct. Then you call it theory. Yes. Well, using your intellect, using your brain, that has taken you so far. Dr. Henry Lee, thank you for spending your evening with us. And again, ha- Happy New Year. And uh, all the best to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, all the listener. Have a happy new year, healthy, safe new year. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. I could talk to you for hours upon hours upon hours, hours more about all of it. You'd never know you were in the 80s the way you light up when you talk about forensic science. It's been your passion for decades, six-decade career, and uh, everything you have received in your life, all of the honors you have earned. Thank you very much for sharing some of that wisdom with me. 
That is it for us today. Remember, you can always check out talkfor2.com for the latest episodes. Also, subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at talkfor2. You can also follow us on TikTok at talkfor2 and Instagram at talkfor2pod. Reach out to me directly at talkfor2cast at gmail.com. That's T-A-L-K-F-O-R. T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. 